Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm going to read a couple of verses this morning. Uh, I've been instructed by the Lord several weeks ago to teach on the foundations of the faith. And Hebrews chapter 6 is my keynote verse there, Hebrews 6 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Those are what he calls foundations that have to be laid within our lives. And uh, Psalm 11 verse 3 says, "What if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And uh, for this crowd, I'm going to take this chance and quote out of the message. The message says it like this, if the bottom drops out of a country, if the bottom drops out of a country, good people don't have a chance. I'm just going to suggest to us that foundations are the very, they're what holds your house up. If you have not had great foundations of your faith put in your life, then what happens is people begin to make up stuff. They begin to conspire. That's what that means. If they don't have solid foundations, then they can just build all kinds of crazy stuff. Have you heard any crazy stuff in the last couple of years? Just crazy stuff, right? And in fact, you're sitting there listening to the crazy stuff going, well, that's crazy. And it's coming out of mouths of people that are educated. It's coming out of mouths of people that know better, right? But see, if you have no firm foundation of what it means to be a Christian, then all kinds of silly stuff can take place. And so several weeks ago, the Lord began to speak to me about make sure that the foundations of the faith are well seated within those that you pastor. What's crazy is I wrote most of this material over 30 years ago. What is absolutely nuts is that when the church started and I saw growth take place, the Lord spoke to me back 30 years ago and said, here, lay foundations. Terry could tell you, I put Terry and Teresa, uh, led, led them into a relationship with Christ, put them in a class and started on Hebrews chapter 6. And in those first 10 years of the church, I was systematic about here are the foundations and I laid them. And then, I don't know, whatever, I got lazy, I guess. Uh, I moved on to, I really thought you could lay them once and keep going. The truth of the matter is, is in the life of a church, you have to continually come back to those foundation realities and keep putting them in, or our children grow up without them. Our children grow up without the knowledge of them. And so it's one of the reasons we go back and we do that. It's also that silly story I told last week, sometimes you need to drill some holes uh, if Wendell had been here last week, I'd had him tell the story. He had a, he could have, I talked about how that part of the building began to sh shift, and they drilled holes and shoved more mud down under there to keep this building. Sometimes we have fissures in our foundations, and you have to shore that up. Uh, so uh, that's the assignment I've been given. And then if I lean back into the book of Matthew, I find this verse in Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, the 19th verse. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say make converts. There's a difference between saying, I believe in Jesus, and then becoming a disciple of Christ. We're supposed to make disciples, not just get, we're, we're supposed to help people to determine what it means to follow the Lord. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're commanded to do. Uh, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So, just to recap. Number one, cornerstone. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus 
is Lord. There's no ambiguity in there. That, that means that our interpretation of the Bible is not Lord. That means that the cultural winds that blow around are not Lord. That means that our denominations are not Lord. It means that Jesus, the Son of the living God, He is Lord and Master and Savior. Number two, repentance from dead works. Have you ever had change your mind? How about more than once? It's interesting to me is that people think that repentance is a one-time reality when the truth of the matter is I probably have to do it two or three times a week, a a day. I have to change my perspective. Repentance from dead works. To recognize that the works of my hands will never make me righteous. That the works that I do, even the good works that I do, will never justify me. That I'm justified by faith in His grace and not by what I'm able to perform. To repentance from the works of the flesh. To turn from that and begin to have, number three, faith in God. And last week uh, I did a pretty good job of teaching this group of people about faith in God. The second service went nuts. Uh, I mean they didn't listen to anything. (laughs) The The second service we had just a tremendous move of the Lord. It was really, really wonderful. And I got to teach about 10 minutes on faith in God, maybe 20. And, uh, but faith in God is that, that thing, that foundation. If we don't have faith, in, a lot of people can believe in God. They can believe, but have, to trust Him is different than believing that He exists. A lot of people believe there is a God, but they don't have any trust in Him. They don't, they don't rely on Him. Uh, yeah, I believe in God, but I think I'll keep doing things my way. And, and so last week I tried, I almost came back and just said, I'm going to teach a whole other Sunday on faith in God. But I'm going to kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, we're justified by faith. We're saved by faith. We walk by faith. We have to guard our faith. We have to contend for our faith. If we're not careful, our faith will begin to slip because of the public pressure or the eternal pressures coming up from the inside. So we have to continually guard what we hear because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. have to really be careful in the 21st century because there's a lot of noise out there and if you're not real careful it'll begin to erode on your faith and it'll begin to wane. Uh, And Paul speaks very clearly. He says if anybody teaches any other gospel than the one I'm teaching may you be cursed. This guy doesn't give, he doesn't give any room for anybody. He just says, if you're teaching anything other than Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected, you, if you're teaching anything outside of grace, don't you remember in, in the book of Galatians where Pete comes down and first of all he's eating bacon and then the Jude, Judaizers come and he doesn't, and he, and he goes, listen, it's all by grace, not by law. You're justified by grace, not by law. This is October the 31st. It's called Reformation Sunday. In the year 1517 of our Lord, Martin Luther took and nailed 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg and said, we got to reform some things. Because what had happened in about 1500 years of the church, it was not just by grace. It was if you did this, if you did this, and you would be justified according to the Roman Catholic Church at that time, you could buy people out of hell if you gave enough money. So as long as you came and took communion, as long as you came and confessed, you had to work your way in. So we held, and the great reformer, the Catholic Martin Luther, came, nailed that, and said, no, 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 wait a minute. You're saved by faith through grace, that and that alone. Say with me, we're justified by faith in His grace. I'm justified by what He did, not by what I do. I justified that he paid the price. I didn't pay the price. Anything that begins to put that back together and and say that it's, yeah, it's grace, and if you stop smoking, drinking, and running with the folk that do it. But again, Martin's coming to your house and nailing something on that door. 
And I got to tell you, in the year 2021, we need somebody else nailing something to the door of some churches. Because they really believe that, yeah, you're saved by grace if you line up and live according to my standards. Well, Martin needs to pay, he needs, my friend Pope Francis has just said in the last six, eight weeks, you have to stop using communion as a weapon. Now, what's he mean by that? You have to stop weaponizing the communion. Well, because certain people want to restrict other people from coming to the table based on their political ideas. And the Pope has just said, you cannot do that. That the grace of God is free. Anybody's able to come. But you have to understand that politics and the culture and everything else will begin to restrict who is able to receive grace based on whether or not they behave or perform up to whatever standard they've established. This is Reformation Sunday. This is the day we remember that you're saved by grace through faith. Period. You can, you can have all kinds of stupid ideas and be stupid for that matter. But that doesn't mean that God restricts or holds grace from you. Now why is that important? It's because you and I have been living the last four or five years that if you don't agree with me, you must be evil. Well, that's not true. You can be stupid, but not evil. I mean, let, let's be honest with you. People disagree with you and you can go, well, that's stupid. That's okay. But if you send them off to the, you don't get to do that. You don't get to make other people bad. Because we're saved by faith through grace, grace through faith. And in 1999, quite frankly, I was a part of the process. In 1999, the Lutheran Federation of Churches and the Roman Catholic Church had sat down for 20 years and came up with a document that declared that we were one church because we were saved by faith and not by works. And so the schism of the 15th century was healed. The problem is, is that most of America has never heard it. We all are still trying to stay, stay with me. Faith in God. Faith in God. Faith in the reality that He has saved us. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 in the Message Bible says that the foundational fact of existence is that we trust in God. The foundational fact is that I trust in God, not in myself. Not in you. Not in the denomination. Not in any nation. Not in the culture. But I trust in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in that portion of scripture that that faith in God, trust in God is our firm foundation. Jesus asked and seemed to be concerned about one thing only. In Luke chapter 11 he said, when I return will I find faith? When I return will I find people trusting in me? When I return will I find people relying in me or in themselves or in some sort of if today Christ will return it's not whether or not he finds you behaving correctly. It's whether or not he finds you trusting in him. Your behavior might be bad, but do you trust in him? Your behavior might be good, but do you trust in him? You see, my trust is in the fact that Christ died, Christ rose, Christ ascended, Christ is coming again. My, fact, my, my trust is in the reality that he promised me life and life abundantly, life eternally. The, the, the trust I have is that even when I'm done living in the flesh, I keep on living in the presence of the living God. Our faith, our faith based coming out of the Old Testament and into the New, the father of faith, Abraham, it says he believed God and it was accounted for him as righteousness. He didn't do anything. 
He believed God. He believed God for what? He believed God for a son and land, right? He believed God. And when he believed that God was going to do it, even when he was 99, even when there was no way in the flesh he could have a child, when the flesh had failed, he believed that God's promise would come to pass. And the Bible says his belief in God's promise made him righteous. His belief, not his performance, not his living up or meeting a standard, but his faith in God was counted to him, credited, charged to him. So your belief, your faith in God's promise to you is what makes you right, not your behavior. Well, should we keep on sinning? Paul goes, of course not. That's silly. But it's your faith in God and in his word to you that makes you righteous. David comes along, and you know David's history. It's not real good. David comes along, and he said, blessed is the man to whom God refuses to charge sin. Didn't say blessed is the man who doesn't sin. It said blessed is the man to whom God says, I will not impute, charge the sin to him. Now that'll blow most people's legalistic mind. You, you, blessed is the man. David had sinned, and according to the law that he was living under, he should have been stoned. But he sought God and found grace, mercy, even in the... Am I making any sense? That's the Old Testament. Jesus comes and says, I'll even take your place on the cross. I'll even die for your sin, that you can become righteous. Our faith today has to be in the reality that God has done for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. And that cannot be old news. I'm sorry, but I don't care whether you've heard this message a hundred times. That cannot be old news. You have to still be excited about the fact that though we have sinned and fallen short, He has justified us by His death, burial, and resurrection. That's still exciting. The older I get, the more exciting it is. The, 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 The more funerals I attend, the more exciting that becomes. The more pressures I have. The just to be real frank with you, the more I sin, the more I love God. Oh, well, you didn't get it. The more I mess up and turn to God and I receive His grace, I realize how abundant it is. Because I don't know whether anybody else is in here, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. I fail in my mind. I, I fail in my body. I, I fail. And yet I come to the Lord and I acknowledge it, and He just takes on off again. Seventy times seventy. I realize this is going to unnerve religious people, but it's all right. The fact is, is I have faith in Him, and not in myself, and not in you, and even when my flesh seems old and I can't see any way of this ever coming to pass, because faith believes that God is good to even bad people, that faith, faith in Him, faith in what He is doing. And when you come down to it and you make faith that clear, then no wonder when the people looked at Peter and said, what do we do? He said, repent, change your mind, stop thinking you, stop, stop, stop and, and just rely and, and be baptized. And be baptized. Repent and be baptized. That wasn't a suggestion. That wasn't if you've got time. That wasn't if you fully understand what's going on. That was repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. You see, faith without works is dead. Well, what was the work he asked us to do? He asked us 
to baptize one another. He told us to go into all the world, teach this gospel, and to baptize one another. And yet, that message today has been so miscued in the body of Christ. Well, well, you got to meet the criteria, or you don't really need to. The guy on the cross wasn't. Yeah, but you're not on a cross. I mean, just look around. I haven't got any of them in here. And then none of you uh, have an imminency about repent and be baptized. We're so familiar with the word water baptism that we have yet to connect it to our faith. We're so familiar with water baptism, we hear it, but we've missed the significance of it. See, God takes natural things to convey supernatural realities. God uses creation. He said every man is without excuse because everything that can be known by God can be seen in creation. God uses created things to convey spiritual realities. If you're Pentecostal at all, we lay hands on somebody. And when we lay hands on somebody, we believe that God's doing something. We take oil and we put oil on someone. My grandmother used to have a hanky and she'd put it under my drunk granddad's pillow. We use physical things. We put rings on each other's fingers. Come on, have you ever? Yeah, I do all the time. I'm always looking. See, they got a ring on. We'll be walking down the street and I'll see something going on between a couple. I think they got a ring on. They have, do they have the license to do what they're doing? You know. <laughs> we, we use physical things to convey because things are a sign. They point to something. This, this isn't really anything, but it points to the reality that I've made a covenant with Anne. It points to something beyond itself. So, so baptism, Eucharist, marriage it is a sign, a symbol, a sacrament that conveys the reality that it represents. It's a mystery. Once you have faith in God, you have to understand that you don't know. When I said yes to Jesus, I realized something. He had not fully disclosed what this meant. I'm still learning about Jesus. I'm still having to let go of ideas about what it means to be a human being. To accept Jesus is not to have been given a doctrine and me go, oh yeah, I believe that doctrine. No, for when I accepted Christ, he blew my mind. When I accepted Jesus, it was like, I didn't think I knew anything. And I had grown up in the church. And can I tell you, every time the Lord speaks something to me, it's that I have to unlearn something. I have to acknowledge that I don't know everything. What concerns me about Christianity in America is there's so many people think they know everything there is to know about God. Can I tell you, there's still stuff you don't know about God. It will take eternity and you'll still never know. Do you, do you remember that the step that Abraham had to make was to step out of his country, out of the familiar, into the yet unknown? That when God speaks to Abraham, he has to leave the country of Ur and his family and step out and go to a place that he knew not where he was going. Every journey of every Christian is a step from what's known to a step that's unknown. And if you become bored with your faith, it's because you forgot to step in the last couple of days. Every step I take is a step into his mystery. It's a step into this thing that is bigger than me. Listen, if I was still teaching and thinking the way I was 35 years ago, you wouldn't be here. Because I knew nothing. Absolutely. All I knew is Jesus loved me. And frankly, the last 30 some years has been just a walk into the continuing unknown of God. 
Abraham, the father of faith, has to, and today you're going to have to leave what you think you know to discover what you don't know. Moses, do you understand? Moses didn't know what this meant. He was leading them out of Egypt into a desert. He had no clue what it was going to entail. The minute you accept Christ, you're moving into this mystery. And the way that you are given an understanding of the mystery is he gives you signs and symbols, metaphors, because God is so big, he can't explain it to you in a linear way. So he says, well, it's like, go read the book of Revelation. Well, it's like, it's like this. So here's what I want you to do, Abraham. Uh, I, I want you to circumcise yourself. That will be the sign and the symbol of your faith with me. We'll cut away this part of the flesh that has to do with the ability to reproduce. I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is you have faith in me. The bad news is we got to do some surgery. Listen, baptism is circumcision. Baptism is when I have faith in God, but now God has to cut me and set me free of my reliance upon my flesh. Baptism is when I allow myself to be put under the water and die with him and come back alive with him and to leave my flesh behind me. And I wish I could tell you, you do that once and you're good. But when I read Paul... Paul said, oh, wretched man of I, the things I know to do are the things I do not do, and the things I do are the things I know not to do. Oh, wretched man of I. And then he goes ahead and writes the Corinthians and says, therefore I die daily. In other words, I get up every day and I remember that it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives on the inside of me. I get up every day and I wash my face and I remember being buried with him and being raised with him. And I remember I cannot rely on myself, I must rely on him. That is what Christians forget. Christians forget that the life they're living, they do not live under their own strength. That the life we're living, we now live by the strength and the power of another. And we get stressed and we get overwhelmed when we look at life and think, I gotta fix it. When we look at life and there's a problem, we look at that problem and we see it as, and we get stressed. But when we look at that problem, that mountain, that river, that relationship, and we realize that we can rely on the Christ that's in us, and we can step back and let him, this is the Christian faith. And not to understand that that begins in the bathtub. Because no one does that and looks good. <laughs> Have you ever seen anybody be baptized? They look like they've been run through. No. Because it's, it's, it's in that place that, that you're, you're really undignified. There's no plate way to look good. And, and the truth about baptism is that you have to lay your life in the hands of another. And trust someone other than yourself. Baptism is a sign. It's a symbol. It's a sacrament that takes you out of and into. It's the death of the old man and the birth of the new man. And if that journey doesn't begin, if that foundation is not in your life, then things come along and you'll try to handle it on your own rather than go get in front of a sink, throw more water on yourself and realize 
I can't do this on my own. I must rely on the other one. All the way through the scriptures, they parted the Red Sea and they walked through it. The sea closed and the enemy was drowned. All the way through it, as Moses was leading the people, he said, I'll sprinkle water on you and, and you'll be clean. And I'll give you a new heart. And I'll give you a new life. Hey, here, if you'll drink of this water, you'll have living water come from you. The power of water. The power and the symbol of water that's used as the power and the symbol of the Holy Spirit. We in America today want to forget the foundational things and just be tickled by those things that, listen, I'm telling you, most of the pulpits today are filled with psycho babble. Most of them are filled to try to make the people sitting in the pews feel better about being stupid. Most people sitting in the pews just want you to make me feel better. Listen, let me, let me help you to die. The reason I can go do funerals and do them so well is because I know that person was already dead. The reason I can stand at funerals and do a good job is because I know they've already been dying. And that actually the death of their flesh is freedom into this new world and into this new life. That's the foundation of our faith, that there is life after death. If there's no more life after this, you and I are wasting our time this morning. If there is not a God that lives on the inside of us who's been buried in resurrection, then our faith is futile, according to 1 Corinthians 15. We believe in life after death. We believe that we've been crucified with Him, raised with Him, and that every day we can call upon the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live this moment. That's the foundation of our faith. I'm not supposed to be teaching you psychobabble. I'm not supposed to be giving you three steps to feel better about having been beaten by your mother. I'm supposed to be showing you how to bury the old man and walk in the new man. And that all of that is a mystery and it's supernatural. It's supernatural. It's unknown. You, you will never rationalize this. You'll never get this to go into your brain. You'll have to move beyond your analytical ability and step into the great unknown. Into the great, wow. And that is faith. When you can suspend your analytical mind and you can step over into and you can recognize that God takes water and wine and bread and he conveys to you spiritual realities that are beyond your understanding and yet they empower us. It's absolutely brilliant. If you think about God using things he's created. If Jesus were baptized, this is my beloved son. This is, identity is discovered when we're willing to lay down the false identities, the posers that we've built around our own abilities and allow Christ to recognize us in this reality that moves us from sin and death into life and abundance. It really is the first deliverance. That when the children of Israel walked through the waters of the Red Sea, God delivered them from Pharaoh. I see many people who if they just allow themselves to be delivered from the flesh, a, a miracle would start. I know many people that have gotten wet that need to just remember they got wet. Just remember it. 
And the way you remember it is by coming back to this table. This table is in this house because I can't rebaptize you every Sunday. I shouldn't rebaptize you every Sunday. But what I should do every Sunday is bring you back to this table and do what he told us to do every time we came together. This is my body. This is my blood. I died in your place. If you believe in me, you live in my power. You don't have to feel anything. You can feel lousy, but you can choose to remember. You can choose. And when you remember, it doesn't mean, no, the word remember in the Hebrew means I relive that. I relive that. It's what you do on your anniversary. You relive that. You relive, and the older I get, the more I remember that. The reason why that table is here is because it reminds you that you were buried with Christ, risen with Christ, and He's coming again. This has nothing to do with Roman Catholicism, has nothing to do with Lutheranism, it has to do with your baptism. The way you remember your baptism every week, I remember He died, I remember He bled. His substitutionary work on the cross set me free of my sin. And I come every week and say, Father, forgive me. Remember me. I remember you. And a mystery takes place. It's a mystery. I can't explain it. People tried to ask me to explain it to them for years. What happens to the bread? I don't know. Well, do we use grape juice? I don't care. Because faith without, I'm just doing it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to believe that his book said, I'll be with you when you do it. And if he's with me when I do it, then that old man is dead, the new man is alive, and I live in a cycle called seven days. It's actually the eighth day, but so I live in the rhythm of it. I live in the rhythm of the fact that I'm remembering, because all week long I'm reminded of how weak my flesh is. All week long, I'm reminded how, how confused I am, right? I struggle, but I come back to the body of Christ, and I remember there's more in me than just me. I remember I've been redeemed. I remember that Christ is in me. I remember that the power of the Holy Spirit is in me, and I, and I go again. People ask me all the time, do you have to go to church to get to heaven? No, you don't have to go to church to get to heaven. But the journey will be far less easy, far more easier if you will stay in the rhythm of remembering the death, the burial, the resurrection, the baptism. It's my foundation. Listen carefully. Don't hear what I don't, I'm not about to say. The more traditional experiences of the early church, Orthodox, Catholicism, Anglicanism, they many times fall into a routine without the power of the Spirit. However, they keep placing within their people. It's all based on the death, burial, and the resurrection. 20 years ago, I recognized something. And that was as a Pentecostal, I had a lot of feeling. Had a lot of feeling, a lot of emotion. And I love it, I'm not losing it. At the same time, I needed to put the foundation back in the lives of people. It's because of your baptism. It's because we're reminded of it through the table. And then let the whole, that's called convergence. That's called all of it moving together. You don't want to just get caught up in the feelings of it or you get depressed. You don't want to just get caught up in the mechanics of it or it gets dry. But if you work both of them together, if you bring it together, 
Then all of a sudden, you can stand week after week, year after year, month after month. <laughs> you can get up on a Tuesday, you can throw water on your face and go, no, 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 no. This isn't just me facing Tuesday. This isn't just me. <sighs> Jesus is Lord. Repentance from the work of the flesh. Faith in God and what He has done. And allow that faith to be released through experiencing the baptism, which, by the way, in the baptism, it's not anything you do, it's what He does. And continually remembering it and living in the reality of it as we break the bread, pour the wine, and ask again, Father, forgive us as we forgive those that have sinned against us. These are the foundations of our faith. If we lose those foundations, if we, if we get them all messed up, we'll make this about experiences, we'll make it about people obeying the standards, we'll, we'll get all confused. But if you come back to the simplicity of our faith, <laughs> I believe the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried, descended into, the, into hell. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe. Listen, I'm getting TikToks from 12-year-olds. TikToks. Last week, I got three of them from 12-year-olds who were repeating the creed because they're teaching that to them in the back. Every fall, we do the same thing. Every fall, we take the 12-year-olds back to the Our Father, to the creed, to the Ten Commandments. We take the 12-year-olds back to baptism and back to the Eucharist. We take 12-year-olds and we continue to do it. And if I'd have told everybody 20 years ago I was going to do a catechism, they'd have left the church because they thought I was Roman Catholic. And all I'm really doing is discipling your children. This is what we believe. And this is how we worship. It's not just about your feelings. It's about the foundations of the faith. Can I tell you something? We need to do that to ourselves. We need to make sure that we can understand the Lord's Prayer. Make sure that we understand what I believe, what we believe. We need to make sure we understand the Ten Commandments. You know, I can't keep the Ten Commandments. It's just crazy. I, I, I try. You know what the Ten Commandments do? They let you know what to ask forgiveness for. It really is true. If you read the Ten Commandments, you go, oh my God. And he goes, yes. <laughs> You're forgiven. And, and, and it makes grace bigger. Makes it more alive. You need to know the Ten Commandments because you need to know most people don't have a conscience because they haven't read the Ten Commandments. Read the Ten Commandments. Hallelujah. It's an old story, and I'll end with this. An old, this was literally probably back 7th, 8th century stuff. 7th, uh, 8th century stuff, if the village you were in found you guilty of murdering, they didn't have electricity. It was way too much work to hang. And they didn't have gas chambers. So if you were 
found guilty of murdering someone, they took the body of the dead person and they strapped it and chained it to your back. And you don't have to be very scientific to realize that as that body began to decay, that all that decaying process would eventually be transferred into you. And the death that was on your back would eat into you and slowly kill you. Morbid, right? Circumcision cuts away. Can I tell you what I really think takes place in water baptism? I really think that when you declare Jesus is Lord, you turn from your ways and you have faith in God, you go into that baptism, I believe God takes a knife and cuts that old man away, that old death and that old decant, cuts it away, and all of a sudden you're free, and now you can live by the power of the Spirit. I really see that as a metaphor. For years I've told people, if you go into baptism, take a rock, and when you come up out of it, drop the rock, and leave the old behind. Every time you come to the table, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done, and by what I have left done. I have not loved you with my whole heart, nor my neighbor as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, that I might walk in your ways and delight in your will. I have to tell you, though I don't lead you in that every Sunday, I'm up here every Sunday going, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. As good as I think I am, Lord, forgive me. And when I approach that table, I I really believe that his death, his burial, his resurrection are present to me right now. I really believe that he pushes those away. It's the only way I stay sane. It's the only way I can live through Bearing grandkids and parents and friends. It's the only way I stay sane when the world's losing its mind. It's the only way I can stay sane. That's my faith. That's my faith. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Lucas, I don't know. I didn't tell you, son. Do you have the creed? Can you throw the creed up? just confess this together if we can I should have asked him sooner I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth I believe in Jesus Christ his only son our Lord he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary he suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended into hell on the third day he rose again He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you this morning and we just ask for your grace to be updated in our lives. This morning and we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us as we make our sins known to you. Hallelujah. The Bible says that whosoever sins we forgive, they are forgiven. Would you just look right there around you somewhere and just look somebody now and say, in Jesus' name, you're forgiven. All your sins are washed away. Hallelujah.
just as clean as you were as you came up out of that garden as you were when you came up out of the waters of baptism. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers. And that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time.